Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. interview last week was so good that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. If you missed last week, you'll find the link in the show notes. It's not mandatory that you listen, but we want to make sure that you don't miss out on this amazing conversation. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, Today, I have a colleague, Emily Nichols, and Emily and I are uh, privileged to be able to uh, be members of the uh, Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. Emily, welcome uh, uh, to Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. I was actually able to spend some in-person time with Emily uh, this uh, last weekend where uh, we had our uh, social for uh, CAPS, like we call it, in my backyard, which was amazing just to catch up with everyone. So Emily brings an amazing background, and um, I, th- I often say that um, it's amazing that we have the younger generation coming up, um, and some of the things that she may have potentially or will be touching on in her career, um, I've probably lived with um, for a lot longer, being just a wee bit older than Emily. Um, and today, <laughs> Emily is a professional um, a keynote speaker and a professional engineer. Um, so one of uh, the, the fields that uh, impacts what she does with her uh, speaking today. And she's the owner of a company called Technical Skills for Professional People. Am I getting that wrong, Emily? <laughs> Human skills for technical people. Oh my goodness. I, I just said to her, make sure to keep me on track. And of course I went off track. You talked a little bit about um, the call to action for men in our lives. So what, tell me a little bit about what you think would be helpful for men that can kind of move, you know, the, the needle around further along in, in reference to language. Well, you know, it's like this Roxanne, when people hear me or see me, a woman in engineering, speaking about being a woman in engineering, they often jump to the assumption that my target audience is women in engineering. And <laughs> I'm so glad you asked this question because my target audience is, is not primarily women in engineering. Certainly I'm hearing from some women that this is an empowering message, that, they, that it's, it's helpful, that they can relate, that they feel like they're not the only one, and that's fantastic. But, but I really think that, well, less than 15% of practicing engineers in Canada are women. So if I was only speaking to the women, I can't move the needle that much, right? So that's the first thing is that just by sheer numbers, we need, we need men to pay attention. We need men to participate in making uh, more gender equal workplaces and making women more welcome. Um, their words shape our world simply because of numbers. And it's uh you know, it's a challenge for men. They, they're 
by and large are in workplaces that work just fine for them. And sometimes I say that when business as usual works well for you, it's really hard to see how business as usual is not working well for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting with language is a, is a great place to start. Uh, dropping that word, guys, stop lumping the women in with the men. Uh, we don't necessarily want to uh, always just have to fit in and blend in. And let's not forget non-binary folks as well, right? We're not talking about a gender binary anymore. And I made that point in my, in my TED talk as well, because sometimes when people hear my message, they might be inclined to just revert to the old ladies and gentlemen uh, as a greeting, right? And so I wanted to remind people that, that that's not very inclusive either. And if <laughs> for, a, for a demonstration of why, I guess the thing is that I'm advocating for less gendered language because I would love to see a less gendered workplace. You talk about being in this bid meeting and being the only woman in the room. And, you know, sometimes I find that if you're the only woman in the room at work, you know, we have challenges with that, like you described, but, but it's manageable. We can navigate it. Now, when the work world intersects with social occasions, now it gets really confusing. One sales trip that uh, I sometimes tell this story, I went on a sales trip. I was... Um, a senior leader in manufacturing and I went with the salesperson to visit a client and we arrived there the evening before we were going to have the meeting so we all went out for dinner together so now I'm meeting the client for the first time and it's dinner so I decided I was going to wear a skirt that evening and the assumption of the people we were meeting was that I was the salesman's wife you know and that's just that I find that really frustrating that um you're expected to, you know, at work, you can get by, you can dress kind of neutral or whatever, and you're not going to be wearing skirts in a factory. So no big deal there. But then in a social occasion, you know, the idea of being a woman, people kind of expect you to dress in a certain way. uh, Or if you do, then they, they decide that you're not part of the business. Uh, You see what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's confusing to navigate. We just need, (laughs) we just need the men in our lives to, to, use inclusive language and open their minds to the many ways there are to be a woman or better yet, like let's leave gender out of it. There are lots of situations where we can leave gender out of it. Not, not that I'm saying we should leave gender behind because it's important when we talk about fit for personal protective equipment and, and things like that. But um, when we're thinking about a job and who can do the job or who we expect to be in the job, it, it doesn't need to be a gendered thing. Well, I remember uh, reading Malcolm Gladwell's book and he talked about maestros. I don't know if you've ever read that particular book. I forget which one it was in. And he talked about with maestros, right? Predominantly men. And what they did, he did, they did the social experiments where they actually started to, um, you know, put the maestros behind a white screen. And what happened was that a woman actually uh, was the maestro behind the screen that won and even after she won what happened is every everybody was still referring to her as mister even though clearly she had blown everybody out of the water and she was trying to obviously put that point across that um if you see me or you emily we're gonna automatically you know um make assumptions based on uh what we see right and you know and it, it and that and we all have um, inbred biases that have come from our socialization and we're there's so many things you know and that experiment was 
brilliant in that what happened after that, the orchestras implemented that particular strategy so that then it was a blind audition. So nobody could make preconceived decisions prior to the maestro kind of going up there and, you know, doing his or her thing. They just was not able to see uh, the gender, you know, the gender of the individual. And now it's something that's done uh, globally with maestros. So that's an example of, of a, I'm going to say a systemic shift that, you know, allowed people to recognize it's about, you know, who's the best person um, with the skill to fit that position versus all these kind of inherent things, steps that we go through. Um, before we kind of get to the point where we get in front of that individual. And it was th I found that very, very powerful. Um, I believe it was um, his for one of his first books that that particular experiment was in. Yeah, that's that's great. And so let's tie that back to language, right? It's it's um, it's an outcome. And, and so this is, again, why I'm talking about language is because it's something that's accessible to everybody. That's a great experiment. But some people will say, well, I'm not a leader or I don't have a budget or I don't make the policy, you know, and that's why language is such a powerful thing. Again, going back to the call to action for the men in our lives. What if you start with your words, you know, and by changing your words, you hopefully are changing your thoughts. I mean, usually the thoughts come first and then the words. And so if you're changing, if you notice the words, then that kind of works backwards to change the thoughts and then forwards to change the words and then the actions. Right. So um, if we if we change our words, then that becomes a signal to other people as well. And that's, you know, what you're talking about with the maestros. We say the conductor, maybe instead of the maestro. Right. It's a little mm -hmm. bit more uh, gender neutral word, perhaps. And, you know, I think it's really fun to figure out what are the words we can use instead. So uh, I said in my talk, you know, most of the time you can just drop the word guys. We, we think we need a word to fill in there. Most times you just don't need it. Um, you don't need a word at all. But if you do need a word, <laughs> and I ran out of time, you know, a TED talk has to be maximum 18 minutes. I have so much more to say about this, but the kinds <laughs> of words you could use instead, the ways you can be creative um, in terms of referring to people as a group by where they're from or what job they're doing, you know, hey, podcasters or, you know, something like that. Um, there are lots of lots of fun things we can do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great to start with the words and it's a signal to everybody around you that you really are thinking about it. Um, and this concept didn't come to me accidentally, you know, Roxanne, it's, uh, my husband is an engineer as well. And um, for, gosh, we've been together 20 years anyway. And uh, I've been correcting him for a long time. Anytime there was a, a generic, um, like anytime he was referring to somebody who was not physically present, like, you know, the, the delivery guy, the whatever, the landscape guy or something, you know, well, are you sure it's a guy? I would always ask him this, like anytime it happened, uh, did you see the person? <laughs> Do you know for sure? Um, so this is a neat way to kind of disrupt people's thinking without being, you know, too critical because uh, you don't want. I like to do it as an invitation, right? And that's, I don't want to go around shooting on people. I like to do it as an invitation. So, so, you know, adding a little humor, asking people, well, are, are you sure that was really a guy? Then it kind of works. 
talk a little bit about um, the different uh, places that you speak and if there are senior uh, level leaders with the capacity to make um, strategic change within their environments, um, well, what kind of things should they be thinking about overall, Emily, as they, you know, and some people are going to go, whoa, <laughs> where do you want me to begin, Miss Nichols? Uh, or Mrs. Nichols? Um, because that could be overwhelming. It's kind of like the floodgates. What kinds of things might you tell them to start to consider uh, about some basic thought patterns around making some of the shifts that you're suggesting? Um, are you ref you're referring to the shifts in language to begin with? Yeah, the shifts in language or... Um, if they do have, uh, you know, policy that might come about with time, what kind of things should they be thinking? Let's say they are in a, ma you know, manufacturing plant, for, for instance. Um, what might they be considering versus, you know, um, maybe it's, you know, hydro, right? Which, again, would be mostly male environments. What kinds of things should they start start to think, to start to think about, in order to implement some of the things that you're suggesting, which is, I'm going to say, the first step into an overall change that we're hoping that, you know, as we go in 5, 10, 15 years, there's going to be more of that neutrality or disparity, less disparity and more equality. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think that pay equity is one of the most basic things that someone who's able to set policy uh, can take care of right away. You know, that's a study across the company to see who's doing what jobs and who's getting paid what for those jobs. And let's make sure that women are getting paid equally for equal work. That's, that's an important start. Um, now, some of these other things are capital investments. You know, I've worked in factories where, like I said, there wasn't a change room for women. Uh, they didn't have shower facilities for women, but they did in the men's locker room. So, um, I think companies see that as kind of a big hurdle, right? You need to make space for it. You need to invest some capital dollars in it. And <laughs> I've heard uh, people say, well, you know, we, we ask the women who work here and they don't want to shower at work. Well, okay. But what about the next woman who walks through the door? You know? So, so I guess my next uh, piece of advice or my next invitation would be like, let's think about the people who do not work for you yet. How do you entice them in? How do you bring them in and make them feel welcome on day one? Because I tell you, when you walk into a place on day one and it's lacking the basic facilities for you, it's clear nobody has been thinking about you <laughs> before you joined, right? And, and uh, so, so that's really important. Let's make sure that there are facilities there. Um, it seems a little bit surprising to me that we have regulations for how many bike racks we need to put outside of a new manufacturing plant, but there's no regulation in terms of the facilities we need to put inside for the people who work there, um, you know, in terms of, of providing for, for all genders. Um, now, the other thing, we want to refer back to these stories we told earlier, me about the, the dinner before the sales meeting and, and you at this, this uh, with this bid team. We need to think about our ideas of what a leader looks like or what our next principal engineer looks like. It doesn't even necessarily need to be a leadership position, but when we're talking about opportunities for promotions, you're absolutely right. We have these ideas in our minds of 
who we expect to be in a job and what that person looks like. And so this example you gave about the maestros and it being a blind audition, um, you know, we can't, we can't always do that in the workplace. We know who the people are who are up for promotion, but I think it's really important to self-reflect and ask ourselves, um, am I leaning towards this person because they fit my preconceived idea of what a leader looks like or what a good fit on this team is because it's easier to hire somebody who looks like us and sounds like us and I agrees with our ideas than, than somebody we might not feel like we understand as much or somebody we might not hang out with outside of work. And um, so I think that's something important to reflect on. Yeah, because familiarity um, does not take the entire picture into account, right? Um, so I think you're so right in that, um, you know, I know with me, and, and this is talking about, you know, of, co of course, racial identity. Back in, in the um, mid-90s, I was one of the only non-white female executives in that role. And, you know, and then, you know, I thought nothing of it. So I grew up in Trinidad and, you know, my, you know, president was black, my dentist was, was Chinese, you know, um, I had everything around me and I grew up very cosmopolitan, even though I would say there was the backdrop of colonialism that was inherently there, but I kind of, sure. you know, grew up with any, and so, and then I came to North America and then it was like, wow, there, you know, I heard the languaging and I'm, you know, I'm going to date myself when I was in grade 13, people going, well, you know, um, well, I'm not, you know, people not thinking about that they could do different roles when they were female. And I'd be like, like, this is me. I'm like, well, why? I, I, I didn't get it because I was like, why can't you go on to, you know, um, you know, go on to be, you know, the, the male nurse or whatever, because again, I had had a different frame with my upbringing um, coming in. And I heard a lot of people even talking about they weren't going to go on to further education. And I'm like, well, why not? If you're, you know, if you're smart enough and you're at this level. So it, it's sometimes you're so right when you talk about belief systems and the space that we all get exposed to. And for me, when I was an executive, I, I thought nothing of it. But then I realized um, when I looked around, I went, oh, I'm kind of it here. Right. <laughs> Um, and it didn't deter me, um, I think, because of some of the, obviously, the, my different upbringing. But for, for someone that was, born, you say, brought up in gender-specific expectations or roles or racialized kind of environment, different mindset. So I think we have so many things that we could be doing around, uh, like you said, um, capacity, right? Like, what is someone's ability? What is their capacity? And yeah, like to your point, what what is a what is a leader, and what what are they in whatever realm supposed to look like? Other than like I, you know, I talk a lot about um, capacity in leadership and um, knowing yourself as a leader, but it's it's a, that internal space that you go into to be able to connect and do the best that you can with whatever whatever that gift is that you have, right? Whether it's an engineer or a nurse or receptionist or, uh, you know, the person out on the oil rigs, uh, like, you know, all those things, because then the possibilities that we would open up for um, our younger generations are, are amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Emily, I know that everybody's going to want to 
you know, see this TED talk. Um, so um, we will put a link, but there's a, is there anything else before we wrap up? Because we've talked a lot about um, language. But is there, is there any actual like words of wisdom that you want to leave behind for people that are listening to this, whether they're on the whether they're in a frontline capacity or whether they're in leadership that you'd like to kind of leave a message behind before we kind of wrap up today? Sure. Well, so Roxanne, first of all, I, I just want to make an offer that, you know, this, this TED Talk is an invitation, right? It's an invitation for people to re-examine their own words. And what I have found as I do this talk in person is that it seems to me that the changing of hearts and minds often happens in the Q&A afterwards. So many times we see a great TED talk online, we don't necessarily think about having a conversation with that speaker, right? But I just want to let people know that certainly they're welcome to, to get in touch if they'd like to bring that conversation into their organization and we can do that. Um, but what I really want to leave your audience with today is how this connects with, with your latest book, The Return on Relationships. Uh, because this is, this is a really key point. You know, we're not, we're not just talking about changing our words so that we can be politically correct or changing our words so that uh, it sounds right. This is really about relationships. Um, words, I think, this is a, I think this is a Steven Pinker quote. Words don't just point to things, they're saturated with feelings mm -hmm. and they don't just move ideas from one head to the next. They help us navigate the relationship. So really this is the power of words to bring you a return on your relationships because your words are a signal to the people around you about whether you're truly thinking about their experience. And so uh, let's think about why it's so important to pay attention to our words and also to feel comfortable to ask people because so many people are afraid of getting it wrong. Uh, <laughs> so let's be honest, so many men are afraid of getting it wrong. And I would just like to make it more okay uh, to make mistakes and ask questions, you know, uh, even after giving the TED talk, I'm sometimes surprised that people are hesitant to, uh, you know, to uh, come up to me afterwards and ask a question or say, what about this situation? You know what? We're only going to move this needle if we get it all out in the open. We have conversation, we make mistakes, we screw it up, we, we pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and, and get back to making change. Absolutely. And I, I often say, with the ROR, it's um, it's about connecting to that deep internal space, um, heart to heart, right? And once you're able to do that, it it, it you know it, it kind of separates the white noise, and you get to know that individual um, at a fundamentally deep level that allows you to um, see capacity in each and every person versus gender or um, you know racialized um, elements, all those, you know, if I'm able to connect on a deep level, um, the possibilities are endless with, uh, with others. And as a leader, if when, when I don't say if, but when they do, uh, what beautiful things can happen, regardless of whether it's a, you know, um, you know, manufacturing plant to, you know, kind of the boardroom, it doesn't matter. That's something that's, uh, it's a beautiful gift about that we have as, as, uh, human beings to be able to connect. So Emily, this has been amazing. Um, please, please, please check out the TED Talk. We will put the link in the show notes. Reach out, have conversations, get uncomfortable, step into it. Because, you know, the possibility is endless because 
I often say, you know, when we create the spaces for conversations, there's no, um, you know, we, we, we might step into it for a little bit, but we learn so much even when we make a mistake. So I invite individuals um, have the conversations about the things that are uncomfortable because you might actually find um, the person on the other end um, has a, a so much grace to be able to, to afford you the space to learn a lesson. So again, thanks for tuning in. Um, what have I been up to? I've launched my book, um, ROR, like everyone's calling to return on relationships. If you'd like to learn a little bit about how you connect at home or at work, what I'd suggest is just go to my website, roxanderhodge.com forward slash quiz. Just you'll get a link. You can assess your capacity to be connected and we'll send you a little mini report and uh, next steps for work if you wanted to enhance things further. Again, Emily, take care and everyone will chat with you again next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.